Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Resurrection Sunday. Christ is risen. Because he conquered death in his flesh, we can sing the anthems of his victory. Can we say thanks be to God? Because he, the captain of our faith, conquered the grave, we can rejoice in the midst of our sorrow. Can we say thanks be to God? We celebrate today the mother of this great man. As a great woman of faith, some venerate and worship her, but because they do does not mean we cannot honor her. Amen? The Bible said she was blessed among all women, that she should be able to be called upon for this great work of God. For all men indeed come from women. Paul reminds us no man is without the woman, and the woman is without the man. We celebrate... All those who followed Christ and ministered to him, among which were, and it says this on more than one occasion in the Gospels, were many women. Say, many women. women. Unique among the world's religion, Christ's followers are called the bride of Christ. And the church itself is called the mother of us all. These are all feminine roles, are they not? And so because of this, Christianity places women in a place no other religion in the world does where they should be. When God created man, he created male and female. And when he created male and female, that was what a man was. And so we find the expression of manhood in women and men. And because that, women take a great place of honor in our faith. Psalm 91 says this, and we'll see some imagery here that is somewhat feminine even in, in its expression about God. What, what kind of uh, hen gathers chicks under its wings? Is that a rooster or is that a mother hen? He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the noise and pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh unto thee. 
Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, and there shall not any plague come nigh unto thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all of thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone, and they shall tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon, shalt thou trample under feet, because he hath set his love upon me. You know, as I was reading about the description of angels, I think it's funny that when most people think of angels, they think of women. Do they not? If you describe someone as an angel, most of the time, what kind of a person are you describing? Do do you... uh, Steve, do you like it if people refer to you as an angel? I mean, most of the time it's probably not really the, the, the description you want, right? But it's funny to me that all the women, all of the angels in the Bible that are mentioned are men. But there's something about them that when we talk about them, we think of them, even though they are men, we think of them with the gentleness of women, right? It says that, he shall, that they shall bear thee up on angels' wings, <laughs> Because thou hast set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let us pray today and ask God to help us to look into this great, beautiful mystery that is the resurrection, the passion, and how God has shown it to us through the lens and the color and the beauty of womanhood. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we gather together and today is a day, interestingly enough, that is known for its beautiful flowers and Easter dresses, oftentimes bonnets, the loveliness and the beauty and the gentility that is certainly feminine in its expression is what has been used to adorn the day that we celebrate the resurrection from the dead. Because we know when you appeared, O Lord, that you appeared not only with the strength of a judge and a warrior, but with the gentility of a sweet and beautiful and tender spirit toward those whom you love. And we thank you, Lord, for loving us like a father, but holding us and protecting us like a mother. In Christ's name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please remain standing for just a little bit more as I... Read my text. The title of my sermon today is Women of the Passion and Resurrection. My text is John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and she looked into the sepulcher. And she seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. 
And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus said unto her, Woman, why do you weep? And whom do you seek? She, supposing him to be a gardener, said, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said unto her, Mary. And she turned herself and she said, Rabboni, which is to say master. Jesus said unto her, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Let us pray. Lord God, we love you so much. We thank you that your word is an endless depth of richness and beauty. And Lord God, that year after year and time after time we look at this, Lord, there is another angle of beauty, another uh, shimmer of your glory in this story. Lord, an endless supply of beauty and passion as we look into the time of the resurrection. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said amen. amen. You may be seated. The story of the passion, which many of you may know, maybe some of you might not know the terminology, but the story of the passion. The passion is another way of referring to the death and suffering of Jesus Christ. Years ago, Mel Gibson made a movie called The Passion of Christ, and it was about the crucifixion. Historically, when you say the passion, you're talking about uh, all of the abuse that he endured and uh, before, uh, before his death and at the time of his death. Um, now, it seems to me that Christ, in, in, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has softened a very, very hard and very brutal story deliberately. Uh, by using women. It was as if the great artist of heaven looked on his palette that was before him and he saw the stark black and he saw the hard red of the brutal death of Christ and what he did was he looked at his palette and he took the pastels of femininity and he began to color the picture. The text that we just read from John chapter 20 is a wonderful example of this and we by no means could fully cover the passion and resurrection today or even in a month-long series since it covers so much of the gospel account. In fact, John himself has eight chapters devoted to the last week of the Lord. From John 12 all the way to the end of John is all talking about that last week of his life. Remember how the gospels were written? Matthew was first. Uh, he was a, a Hebrew, he wrote to the Jews. Just as Christ came to the Jews first, Matthew wrote his gospel first, and it was written at the earliest time. And um, he wrote, as I said, from a Jewish perspective. And Christ walked on the earth. Uh, he wrote his account when he was a man. Um, uh, and Mark was a boy when he lived at the time of Christ. He was a teenage boy. He witnessed, I witnessed several events in the life of Christ and spent time around the apostles and disciples, uh, but did not write his account until he was a man. 
And so Mark was written second. It was written to the Romans, the people of the the time there. They were uh, obviously ruled by the Roman Empire. And the third uh, of what we call the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, was written by a Greek physician for another Greek named Theophilus. And part two of his account of the Gospel of Luke is the book of Acts. Okay? So John, though, was written much later. So you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke written many, 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 many years before the Gospel of John. John, they say, perhaps wrote his account of the life of Christ some 50 years after Christ had already died. It is packed with detail and much more developed theology than these other three. And that's why the book of John, and as I was younger, I didn't really understand this. And people would say, oh, just give people the book of John. Just give them John and the Psalms and they'll be all right. And now I think I understand a little better of what they meant by that because John takes what we have learned from Matthew, Mark, and Luke and what he learned from a lifetime of walking with God, of pastoring, of being exiled on an island. And he, and he, and he did his writing all after many of these great events in his life that changed him as he worked as an evangelist spreading the gospel to the rest of the world. John, uh, this beloved disciple of the Lord who leaned upon his breast at the last supper with the other 12, offers us a love and a tenderness not only from this time, but also from a lifetime of getting to know God and growing in grace. Some of these men were a lot less mature Christians than John. And so when we read John's account, we get insight. You might say, well, I don't know that it's right to say that one part of the Bible is better than another part or whatever, but that's not at all what we're saying. It's all inspired of God. But I'm trying to give you insight into the depth that is John. When you read John and you read first, second, and third John and you read the book of Revelation, you're hearing from a man much different than these other writers that God has touched and used in a special way. So that's why I chose my passage today from John chapter 20. So women like a lovely bouquet adorned the passion and the resurrection. It was by the hands of three women, at least three women, maybe even four, during his life that Christ was anointed. If you're reading the Gospels and you're a person who likes detail, uh, you're going to be a little bit confused. Because, uh, you know, if you're not reading the Bible like uh, a scholar, but you're just sort of reading it for the, the, the words that may inspire you for the day. You'll miss certain things, and in your mind, you will, you will believe you are understanding what you're really not understanding. You see, there were three women, uh, uh, there were three separate occasions where three women definitely, maybe four, uh, anointed Christ. Now, the reason why most people do three is because there are some ambiguity to these stories, and but the stories are very similar. But some like to say that in the same way that King David was anointed three times. Did you guys know King David was anointed three times? He was anointed when uh, Samuel came to his home, uh, and he was a little boy, right? And he was a young man, and who wasn't of any consequence, Samuel anointed him. After which, he killed the bear, bear, he killed the lion, and he killed Goliath. And so some people say he was anointed uh, in, in a, uh, pro- as a prophet or a prophetic way, you know. And that later he was anointed, again, in 2 Samuel, uh, by part of Israel... And then in a few chapters later, he gets anointed again when he's 30 years old 
as the king of Israel. And so some make the comparison that David's three anointings somehow coincide with this. Now, we, we don't have time to develop all of that, but, we, but some people like to show that David was anointed as a prophet, a priest, and a king, as a shadowing to Christ who would come as what? As we've been learning in our catechism. What are his three offices? Everybody say prophet, priest, and king. And as I got to reading and studying this, I realized I'd be talking to you for five hours if I tried to lay all this out. Uh, this is something more like a book should be written about. But it is incredible from the, the way that he is anointed on his feet in some occasions and on his head as another. Uh, the place where he's anointed, the timing of it all. It's all very interesting, but that's not really my focus. If you want to study the scriptures and you want to look into this, you'll find some very, very intriguing symbols and pictures here. But in it all, you'll, you'll notice this, that first, Christ was anointed by a woman early in his ministry at the house of Simon the Pharisee, or we might want to call him the hypocrite. Do you remember this guy? That here as Christ, early in his ministry, was trying to preach and teach, he was not even received with common respect. It was not... Uh, it would not be unusual for someone to wash someone's feet when they came into a home. It would not be unusual for someone to offer them oil to anoint their head with when their skin was dusty from being out on the road. What was happening in his first anointing as he was going out, this woman came and did common courtesy for him what the Jews who he was sent as their Messiah would not do. And so... He was anointed by this woman who was known as a woman of ill repute. And, and there was even some question where if Jesus had really known who she is, she wouldn't even be allowed to touch him. But she anointed his feet uh, with oil and she, she washed her feet and, and dried it uh, with her hair. Uh, and this is not the only time this was done. Uh, this may have been done three times in his lifetime, but it was certainly done twice. Uh, and we will talk about that. So when Matthew and Mark, uh, and, and this was done, we see two more anointings in the very last week of Christ. Two in the same city, uh, but on different days. When Matthew and Mark first wrote the account of the life of Christ, they had told the beautiful picture of the anointing of Jesus two days before his crucifixion in the house of Simon the leper in Bethany. You guys remember Bethany? Remember in the road from Jericho? He came as he as he traveled through. It's a it's a it's a it's a uphill walk about fifteen to eighteen miles from Jericho up to Jerusalem, and this was a picture of conquest. If you remember that he was coming as a king, right, Luke? And how did the people of God come? But they came across the Jordan into Jericho, and then it, later, as as this matured, they went all the way to Jerusalem. So this walk that Jesus is taking in the last days of his life is a walk showing how the children of Israel conquered Canaan land, and how he was coming the king of the Jews, and he was going to be the king of the Jews, not only the Jews only, but of the uttermost part of the world. And so on his way in this journey, he stops in Bethany, which is right near Jerusalem, and he fellowships uh, with some people there, but we didn't hear about this yet, but so, so Matthew and Mark didn't tell you about it, but he goes into Jerusalem, he comes in on Palm Sunday, which we celebrated last week, and when he comes in there, they herald him as a king in the way that they recognize him, and Jesus uh, then deals with the people at the temple. You guys remember this? But then Jesus leaves Jerusalem and he goes back to Bethany. Now, we know about him leaving Jerusalem and going back to Bethany from Matthew and Mark, 
But John that is written much later tells us about something that maybe only the most intimately acquainted with Christ would have even been aware of. Now, Jesus two days prior before he was killed. um, Let me tell you that second. Let me tell you this first. John 12 tells us that this intimate supper between Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who were two sisters and a brother who lived in Bethany, his very close friends, that uh, six days before the crucifixion, everybody say six days. Before he goes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the day before he does this, he goes to their home. And at their home, Mary gets up and she takes uh, a, a stuff they call pure nard, or it could also be called spike nerd, And she anoints the feet of Jesus and she washes that with her hair. And it's a very beautiful and touching scene. And uh, Mary here, many people want to know who she is. There are many Marys. And this is who history calls Mary of Bethany. Okay. Um, In my thinking and remembering, sometimes I get Bible characters confused. And I thought maybe this might be Mary Magdalene, but it's not. It's Mary of Bethany. And Mary of Bethany... Uh, was the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus, okay? And so this Mary, and, and there's something about the, uh, the story of Christ and the whole lot of these Marys that could be a whole other sermon as well. And some people joke about it, even it's mentioned also in the case for Christ that someone uses all these Marys. And if they were really wanting to be a great author, they would have you know, mixed it up a little bit and changed some names. But the deal is, is that in a story, they really were as a woman named Mary and then another woman named Mary and another woman named Mary and another woman named Mary and his mother was named Mary, right? And so there were all of these Marys, but I really think that God included these in there for a specific reason because their name means bitter. And it came from the bitter waters of Mara in the desert when they came and they couldn't drink and they needed to be sweetened. And so there's something bittersweet about motherhood. There's something bittersweet about Christ being given to Mary to be her son. But yet then she's been given a bitter pill to swallow. So God sends the Messiah to be your son. But then you have to live to see him beat and tried and convicted as a murderer. Imagine Mrs. Foisey. You're so thankful for your son. And you're glad that he's in the church and he's serving God. But imagine you have joy. But imagine what would happen if he you know, was thought to have committed a heinous crime. And they took him and they, uh, the whole world tried him and they convicted him and they vilified him as an evil man. And they killed him. Your, your memory of his sweetness would be turned into a memory of bitterness. You couldn't talk about your son. Oh, my, my son is XYZ. Oh, well, oh, you mean the man who was murdered and killed as a malefactor. You see the bitterness of the story in, uh, in, in the Marys. Not only in his mother, but also in these friends whose lives were uh, bitterly stained with sin and who were outcasts and who were uh, demon-possessed. Mary Magdalene had seven uh, devils cast out of her. The woman who's not even named. We don't know what her name is. Her name might have been Mary too for all we know. And she came. But over and over this comes up and comes up and comes up. So after this, he goes in on Palm Sunday and he is heralded as the king and he comes back out to Bethany. And it's, it tells us in, uh, in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 that a woman comes to him in a different house, not at the house of Mary and Martha, not six days before, but two days before. And 
uh, she anoints his head. Everybody say his head. She anoints his head. In the, in the story from John, which was written much later, but actually happened earlier. Does that make sense? Six days before. But Matthew Mark doesn't record the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so the problem in the confusion comes in, and I won't spend too much time on this because this is not the focus of my sermon, but the value of the ointment being 300 denarii, the fact that Judas didn't like it, and the fact that Jesus replied the same way, that we always have poor, and yes, it could have been given to the poor, but these women are anointing me for my burial. Jesus says the same thing and both anointings. Judas is irritated at both anointings. And so people see this and they say, oh, it must have been the same thing. And people were confused. Is the Bible confused? Would the Bible tell you something happened six days in one place before Christ was crucified and another would tell you it happened two days? Would that happen? No. Would the Bible tell you it happened at a certain house? And instead, well, another story tells you it really happened at another house. Everybody say, the Bible is never wrong. And so the Bible is not wrong when it tells you this. It's telling you about two different things. It's like the account of the resurrection itself. You will read the resurrection and they will see one man in a a story. And another, they will see two men in a story. Well, can those both be right? Those both can be right. If you saw one man, right? If you saw two men, have you still seen one man? Yeah, you might just focus on the one man you saw and not the other. And so there are accounts. And and Lee Strobel, uh, when being confronted as a writer in his account of this, they're like, but the stories are different. And the guy goes, I thought you were a reporter. He goes, don't you know anything about police work? He said, when police get the exact same story from five witnesses, what do they know? That it's not right. That all of them have got together and said, we need to get our details right. And so let's tell the story exactly the same. You know people are lying when the story all exactly the same. And that doesn't mean everybody's always lying. But, but in, in, when you're a historian and when you weren't there, when you're trying to get to the bottom of, of an event, you, you're not looking for an exact story to be retold. When you hear other details, when I've been researching the story of Pastor Nang, I keep hearing different versions. And they don't make me think Pastor Nang's lying. I always go to him and say, well, they told me this. And he goes, you know, I forgot all about that. I didn't remember that part of the story at all. I'm glad they told you. So this is what's happening here. The broader point is that the anointing was for his death. Whether or not it symbolizes the, the, the three anointings of David or whatever, it doesn't really matter. But these three anointings, and, and those Bible scholars that love to get into this detail, you can get into it. They were done, though, by the gentle, humble, loving hands of women. You see, when David was anointed, he was anointed by uh, Samuel the prophet. And when he was anointed again, he's by the men of Hebron. And when he's anointed again, it's by uh, the men of Judah. And so these are men that are anointing men. But Christ's anointings come by the hands of these women. Women who are not well thought of and who even at the time of Christ in a a legal proceeding would not be considered credible witnesses because they were women. Women. Isn't that nice? Doesn't that make you women feel nice? So Christy, if you come and testify and say, well, she's a woman and uh, probably she's probably wrong. I mean, that'd probably make you, make you a little bit mad and make me mad. If I was a woman. Now, next we see uh, another woman softening the story again in the house of Pilate. Remember this? So Pilate is hearing the case that had already come to uh, Annas. Uh, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, and it had already come to Caiaphas. And so here they are, and now we are coming to the house of Pilate. And Pilate is like, 
Uh, what are we going to do? This guy hasn't done anything. You guys remember this? And so Pilate is getting ready to make a political decision. And do you remember what happens? Who comes to him? Pilate's wife. Now she's not a believer. She's not a Christian. But she says, hey, I had a dream in the night. And I don't think it's going to be good for you to involve yourself in this man's situation. That dream troubled me deeply. And so God inserts this woman in the story. I think this is interesting. I even thought, Luke, about, man, I'd love to research Pilate's wife. I'd love to just find all about what her name was and where she lived and everything about her. But I didn't. So don't, don't get carried away. Don't worry about it. So, so we see them not only there, but also in the midst of the situation as the disciples are all leaving. What does the scripture say? Who stayed? Everybody say the women stayed. So the disciples are running and the disciples are scared and the disciples are doubting, but the women aren't running and the women aren't leaving. And I remember a sermon I preached one time that I was feeling inspired by God. It was like Mary Magdalene. She didn't run because she said, what are you going to do to me? I had seven devils in me before he came and he delivered me from them. What you Romans going to do to me? I'm not afraid of you. These women had been thought of as bad and these women had been uh, gone through difficult things, but they loved the Lord and they weren't afraid and they stood by. So they were there. You read the accounts and it'll say, and there were, and there were women there and it'll name the women. It'll say Mary was there, Mary of this and Mary of that. And Salome was there and Mary this and Mary that of Beth, you know, and it names the women, Mary Magdalene. She's there. Mary, the mother of Jesus. These women are there. John 19, oh, so before we get to John 19, Peter is denying the Lord. And in the midst of his harsh denials, he's watching Christ be taunted by the soldiers. He's watching his, uh, all of these horrible things happening. And who comes to him? A woman. And she says, hey, don't you know him? And what does he say to the woman? I don't know her. Get away from me, right? And so then what happens? He's seeing in there and more things are happening to Christ as you read the story. And who comes to him? It says a maid comes to him. A little girl comes to him. So God's including the little girl that's now coming to him. Can you see how God is taking this picture of harsh contrast and he's inserting these little girls and women in these places to make the story different? I mean, why does anyone have to know that, that Peter seemed to be scared of a little girl, Derek? He's scared of a little girl. And I thought maybe the third denial might be attributed to a girl, but it was not. I read all the accounts, and it was, it's not clear to one. And it says that this last one was a kinsman. Uh, he was related to people in the area, and he could recognize uh, their, the way they talked. But then at the crucifixion itself, John 19. Now there stood, John 19, 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother... And his mother's sister, I mean, who, who even thinks of Mary having a sister or that his sister was a disciple? But Mary's sister was there. Doesn't even say what her name was. Then there was Mary, the wife of Cleophas. And then there was Mary Magdalene. Mary, 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 Mary. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he saith to his disciples, Behold thy mother. Folks, this is, this is something that is very touching. Here you have Jesus dying. He had been scourged. His back was shredded. His muscles, they believe his muscles would have been exposed on his back. He is held with his hands out like this and he's having to support the weight of his body on a nail that has been thrust through his 
his feet, his ankle, somewhere in his feet, some horrible, painful place. The weight of his body is on his hands and his feet. And just to breathe, he's having to, he's having to lift his body against those shredded muscles and the pain and the, and of the nails to breathe every single breath. And while he's doing this with a crown on his head and blood running down and all of this pain and agony, his words to his disciple are about his mother. That's amazing to me. Behold thy mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. And so we finally get to John chapter 20, which uh, Jeff read for us. And we get to the day that changed all of history. And the day that we celebrate today, the first, very first Resurrection Sunday, the very first Easter morning. The first day of the week cometh and Mary Magdalene came early when it was yet dark. She came to the sepulcher and she sees the stone taken away from there. Now in this account of John, it doesn't say any women were with her, does it? So imagine this, someone you love has died and you go out to the graveyard in the middle of the night, three days after, and you're coming by yourself. Can you imagine this? Can you picture this? She sees the stone is taken away and it touches her. She runs, she goes running and she tells Peter and the disciples whom Jesus loved, which is John, and says unto them, they've taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we don't know where he's been laid. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple, they came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together. John 20 verse 4. The other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher and stooping down, he looked in, he saw linen clothes lying, yet he went not in. Then came Peter following and went to the sepulcher and see at the linen clothes and the napkin about his head, not lying in the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by themselves. He went to the other disciple, which came to the sepulcher. He saw and he believed for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And the disciples went away and they went home. So they went, they saw the, they saw an empty tomb, but it never occurred to them that he had risen from the dead. Isn't that amazing? He told them what he would do. He did what he said, and here he was, but yet they did not believe in the resurrection, even at that point, seeing an empty tomb. Everybody say, but Mary. But Mary. Mary. Say it again. I'm telling you that the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit includes this woman and includes what's going on in her life to show us a love and a beauty and a softness and a tenderness that we need to understand about God and about our relationship with him. Mary stood without the sepulcher, weeping. She was weeping the tears of mourning, of loss, of grief. Now, you might find this funny attributing this kind of thing, but I I told my wife, I said it was almost like God could see her, Steve, and he just couldn't take it. He needed to comfort her. And she's there and she's weeping. Peter and John, they're not at the sepulchre early in the morning weeping, are they? They're just there because they're wondering where the body went. But she's there weeping. As she wept, she looked at the sepulchre. So God sends some angels. You know, the Bible says that angels are sent to be ministering spirits of the heirs of salvation. And here this sweet woman whom he loved, who the Bible tells us ministered to Jesus... Do you know these women paid his way? 
They, they, they made money. They gave him money. They sacrificially cared for him. You, you read any history and you read through the scriptures, you'll find these women ministered to him. They fed him. They took care of him. They looked after him. They tried to get money to help this man. I've had some godly women in my life look after me. So the angels were there, one by the head, the other by the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. I think it's interesting that Peter and John didn't see him. Why are they there now if they weren't just a few minutes ago when Peter and John? Because it's telling you exactly where they were, right? Because they they were sent for her because she was weeping. That's what I think. They said, woman, why are you weeping? It's just because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. And when she had said thus, she turned back herself and she saw Jesus. Now, I might be wrong, and if I'm going over the line or whatever, if you, you want to challenge me at some point, but you know how I see it, Jason. He sent the angels, but he could see the angels weren't getting it done. He came himself. Could you imagine being Christ? And maybe we can't because we're not him. But imagine, imagine being able to see someone who loves you weeping for you. And so you have the power to send an angel to comfort them. And the, but you see they're still weeping. And you're like, oh, I just, I gotta, I gotta let them know. And so Jesus, after they see the angels, now the angels aren't there anymore. You see, angels are messengers uh, from God. There wasn't anything more to be said by any angel. Because all an angel is going to do is tell you what God's going to say. So Jesus is there himself. She didn't know it was Jesus. She said, he said, woman, why do you weep? So the angels asked the same question. So he's asking her, okay, the angels didn't get it done. I'm going to, I'm just going to, if you want the job done right, you got to do it yourself, right? He says to the woman, why do you weep? Whom do you seek? She's supposing him to be a gardener says, sir, if you have borne him hence, tell me where he is and I will take him away. She was ready still in his death, Steve, to serve him. She wasn't thinking that he'd risen. She just loved him and she didn't want him to be discarded or treated bad. And she wanted to to care for him. I can't go back, but they were also there when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came for the body. They were there and they washed him and they took care of him and applied the ointment. They had tenderly taken the blood-soaked hair of his and probably washed it and lovingly anointed him for his burial. Jesus said unto her, Mary, have you ever, have you ever not recognized somebody? And after they say your name, you know who they are. Like, like Derek, you know, you're on the phone like, Hey Derek, you know, you got your business voice on. I know you think it's another person at the nursing home complaining, but it's me, Derek. Pastor Mark, oh, 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 and all of a sudden the business voice goes away. This is Derek Rowley, of course, you know. And he's like, hey, has this ever happened to you? Happens to me. Mary, it says she turned herself and she said, oh, master. And he knowing her, what's the first words out of his mouth? Oh, don't touch me. What do you think she's going to want to do, Ash? Ash, what would you want to do? Jesus, 
she's going to grab him. She's going to hug him. Don't touch me. I'm not yet ascended to my father. Now, he's going to ascend to his father, but he takes time to comfort a weeping friend of his at his empty tomb. Don't, don't, don't touch me. I haven't gone to my father yet. I don't want to too humanize this or too, too commonize it, but, but it's almost like, I, I, really, I got to go, but, but I couldn't stand the fact that you were, you were having this trouble. I, don't, now, don't touch me because I got I to go. That's what he's saying. I don't, maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm reading it wrong. Go to my brethren, say unto them, I ascend to my father and your father and to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene did it. She obeyed. She did what he told her to do. She, you know what she wanted to do? She wanted to hug him. What she wanted to do is she wanted more words of comfort. What she wanted was a lot, but what she did instead is what he told her to do. And so she did it. So she became the first herald of the resurrection of our Lord. God chooses a woman for this job as he has many of these other incredible and beautiful things. You know, I have been so inspired by the gentleness and the love and the beauty that I have seen from this congregation. And Ashley, I liked your your Facebook post. There's something about suffering with one another that, that when you do, you... When you see the people of God, you want to kiss them. You want to hold them close. I mean, normally in our culture, there are things that make people feel uncomfortable. And they, they say, you know, come on now, Mr. Foisy, I'm not going to kiss you. <laughs> You'll hold me to that. Okay. All right. <laughs> and I... I we live in a culture that kind of says back away, back away. The Bible does say greet one another with a holy kiss, but we go back away, back away, back away. But something happens in the house of suffering and mourning where you just, you need to kiss somebody. And I begin to see this gentleness. And, and, and folks, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. A gentle touch of affection and of love and of care is a gift from God. And I have been witnessing a lot of those gifts displayed and they have been lovely and beautiful to me. And they have inspired me not to just have it in a time of difficulty, but it's inspired me, Luke, to just want to be a gentle man. A man who is not so, but is more. May the Lord gift us today on this resurrection day with love and gentle. May we understand better what the Bible means when it tells us to greet one another with a holy kiss. May we cherish the people of our church. And know that even at this time of the changing of the whole world, that gentleness was the first glimpse of the powerful Savior that He showed us when He rose from the dead. Let us pray.
Lord, let us be people who desire to live quiet lives of gentle and meek spirits. Lord, I know we believe that your kingdom is coming and that we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we have learned that it will come from gentle men and gentle ladies. It will not come from the proud. It will not come from the smart, the wise, the powerful. Because if it did, then the flesh would glory. Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Lord, may we bear those marks and may we also bear your gentle and quiet spirit. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said, Amen. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.